Hello, good day everyone, Kevin Finkel here, and welcome to episode number 50 of Magic the Final Frontier. It's been an up and down, it's been a little while, been out for over a year, and here we are at what we're calling the official number 50. You know, we had a couple of two-parters in there, but we're going to wash those out of the way. This is episode 50, and to celebrate, we are going back, back, back to talk a little bit about the history of Frontier. So, everyone, welcome to TED Talks, and this is my talk about <laughs> the history of what Frontier is all about. Uh, and I'm joined tonight by Ryan Schwenk, the Japan hobbyist out of Tokyo, Japan. Yeah, so as always, Ryan and I host this show, and we talk all about Frontier, what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier for our listeners. So, I've got a little bit more of a take on it. I want to definitely talk about some of the metagame changes, some of the decks, and how new sets, new rotations, Mm -hmm. how it all affected Frontier. It sounds like you had a little bit more prepared about the physical history. You had some of the big dates that hit, and how that really affected Frontier. So, I think together, we're going to kind of give you the history. We're going to give you just a nice history lesson from beginning to current to future of everything that's happened in Frontier and will happen. The total spoken history of Frontier. (laughs) All right, so you're coming out of Japan. Why don't you start us off by giving us the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I was living in Japan at the time when Hallelujah announced uh, that they wanted to make this Frontier format. This was at the end, I believe, of... It was right before Kaladesh came out. So it was at, right before rotation. What was it? Uh, Eldric Moon, I think, was rotating out. And... the Sorry, the Shadow of Innistrad block and Battle for Zendikar block was rotating out at this time. Uh, I think it was just the Khan stuff, wasn't it? Because was it uh, Shadow of Innistrad was right before okay. Kaladesh, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it yes. was the Khans and Battle for Zendikar, I think. No. Yeah, it was it was dragons and Battle for Zendikar and Origins. Was it? No, Battle for Zendikar stayed because we had Gideon. Okay. Okay, then yes. So it was just uh yeah, it was just those two sets rotating. This is when they were having a two set rotation. Okay, so this the, the actual date of the tweet that they announced it was September twenty third, twenty sixteen. So a little over two years ago. So that's how long yeah. the format's been around. So uh, and this was just after the full set release was given for Kaladesh. For Kaladesh, yeah, it yeah. Hadn't released until about the week after. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always confused as to what sets were in standard at that time and which ones weren't. So uh, just a little piece of information. Um, a lot of people think that. Frontier was started by Hallelujah and Hallelujah alone. It was actually started by Hallelujah and Big Magic. Um, they both held events. So what do you, what do you know about Big Magic? I mean, I used I did not have a Hallelujah in Nagoya up until I moved, which was in 2017, last year. Um, so uh, I always went to Big Magic. So were you playing at one of the? You yeah, know, you're playing at a Big Magic. I was, I was playing at Big Magic, and that that's where I would always play Frontier. You know, I think the first event there after it was announced had like, you know, 30 or 40 people and they had some like, you know, some like challenge cups, you know, that are based on Frontier. And a lot of people seem to, you know, enjoy it. Okay, so let's talk first about the announcement. So the way they announced it is they they announced this team up between those two big companies. They tweeted it out and they said, okay, in about a month from now, we're going to have a huge tournament. Mm -hmm. Winner of that tournament is going to get a box of every single set that's legal in Frontier at that time. Yeah. Which I think was 10 sets at the moment. Yeah, Origins, Cons, Black, Battle for Zendikar Black, uh, Eldric Moon, sorry, sorry, Shadows, <laughs> Minister Black, and then the new Kaladesh set. Mm-hmm. And they gave it this awesome name called the God of Frontier Tournament, and they also had some God of Frontier trials leading up to that point, and that's kind of a naming convention they've stuck with. Actually, I think God of Frontier didn't happen until the second time. The first time was just like some mm-hmm. kind of Frontier challenge. 
Okay, so it was just a Frontier Challenge, Frontier Cup. Yeah, like something like that. And it it maxed out. It had like 300 people. The entire Hallelujah Tournament Center was packed with people playing uh, Frontier. Yeah, and and they may have had more than that. That was the cap that they were given, is they said 300 people, and they got a full 300 people signed up, which was, you know, awesome. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about why they started this format. Well, I I know a lot of people say it's a cash grab, it's a cash grab, but, you know, (laughs) that's every format. Yeah, I think we've dispelled that myth a few times about what it does for stores rather than just, you know, having people in them, having them playing. Although, you know, stores want people in there playing, having fun on something. So the big reasons that they gave is that they needed something that wasn't modern. They needed something in between modern and standard because the gap has been growing and growing. It's never been as large as it was then. And, you know, nowadays it's even larger than it was then. Yeah, so definitely there's a huge pool of cards that are not being used. And they're a lot cheaper than modern. So this gives mm-hmm. a chance for all those new players that got in from Kazutark here and after to continue playing with those cards. You know, to, sh- to show that, you know, your investment in those cards during that standard is not, you know, lost. You can continue playing them in Frontier. Yep, so that was a big reason. They also, the availability is another thing we talked about in Japan, is that the older cards were just not available there. Um, so... On top of that, modern was getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. Standard just rotated. A lot of people were disappointed because they loved Dragons of Tar- Tarkir. They loved all the things that just rotated out. They loved, you know, Jace. They loved Den Protector. They loved Collected Company. And I also so they wanted to to take something new. I also think that like during this time, Wizards was experimenting with these shorter rotation periods. And yes, this and, is when they were just experimenting with that shorter rotation period, which a lot of players did not like. Yeah, I think it was what six months or something instead of a year or it was like a year mm-hmm. every like... six months you'd have a new group of players who just drop out of standard because they don't want to keep up with the speed that it's changing yeah, yeah. and that was one of the major i think another major reason that frontier was so you know popular initially so yeah first tournament it was october 30th i believe 2016 and it was won by just guy tempo yeah. Yep. So let me talk a little bit. I'm I'm definitely yeah. going to when we go to these historical decks, I want to talk about yeah. jumping into what are the big decks to beat and what actually did well. So I would say at that time, going into that first big tournament, the deck to beat that was on everyone's mind was blue red artifacts. Oh, so yeah. not too different from how the deck is now. Yeah, insult artifact. So there was not a great way to kill an insult creature. Uh insult copter was just an absolute monster in the air as a five five mm-hmm. flying attacker and you know not that many people had a good way to destroy an artifact yeah, this, or to destroy a five toughness creature this was before fatal push this is before um you know a braid <laughs> this was before <laughs> so, fatal push yes this yeah. is before fatal push before a braid so there was just uh, not a great way to kill that thing and um that meant that an ensouled Darksteel Citadel was <laughs> a complete beater and something yeah. that a lot of people had to pay attention to. So when we're talking about the very first tournament that was on a lot of people's minds and I think you'll see that in the winning deck lists yeah, blue, blue. So that was, was the deck that. I think there's a lot of poor yeah. color at that time too. People are still playing like poor color Abzan, and I think they're playing like Dark Atarka. Maybe Dark Atarka came later, but uh... Dark Atarka was much later. So the, the kind of the standout deck for the format for the people who were watching it. So actually, at the time, let we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because at the yeah. time there had actually already been a podcast started about Frontier, kind of right when the format started. Tony Cameron and Matt Meeling jumped into the idea of hey. This is a great idea. Let's yeah. start a podcast about this. Let's get some more people interested in English. And they were also a big driver for where the format took off outside of Japan. So we'll get 
into that in a little bit, but their podcast, they actually did some coverage of the event. They watched the Japanese stream and they did commentary. So we got to see a lot of that. We got to see what were some of the big decks from the format. Yeah, that was So for them, September. the breakout deck for the format. Yeah, that was They announced September, September 26th. Yeah, so right before that event, yeah. So basically they announced like almost the same time. For them, the breakout deck of that event was the Just Guy Black control decks. So they were the four-color control decks. They got to play Jace. They got to play Soulfire Grandmaster. They got to play Gear Hulk Dig, which is still good. And they were playing a lot of things like Crackling Doom, which was mm-hmm. a great way to take out Planeswalkers at the time. It took out the installed Citadels, which were a huge problem. And it was just a clean answer to most things in the format before we had any other real clean answers for mm-hmm. everything. You know, there was no Hero's Downfall. There was no Murder even. There was no Unlicensed Disintegration, no Vraska's Contempt. Nothing that was just, I want to point this and kill the most important thing. Yeah. So that's what Crackling Doom did at the time. So did you listen to the first podcast a lot? Yes, I did. Yeah, I listened to every episode of that. Yeah, I, I loved it. That, that was one of the things that kept me going, you know, especially, uh, you know, when the people kind of started, you know, doing other formats and stuff like that. I still was playing Frontier and I was listening to their podcast every week. It, it was great. I loved it. They, they hyped it up so well. They got me excited yeah, to play. They were excellent hype guys. They were, uh, they were very inter- uh, interactive with the other people, their fans online. So that was a good way to, you know, spread the format online. They were on Facebook. They were on Reddit talking to people. So that, that was really great. And uh, they were also, you know, they're just great magic players. They were, they had some history with uh, legacy and vintage. It sounds like mm-hmm. um, had been around a while, just doing high levels of magic. So it was great to have some people of that caliber playing the game, talking about it at now, the time. Were they being uh, sponsored by face to face games or was that another, it was like mana deprived maybe, or. So I don't know the exact connection. I believe that Matt at the time worked maybe temporarily with mm-hmm. face to face games. So he, he was there. He would, be with the store he had a lot of relation yeah i don't think he was officially sponsored but i do want to say something about face face they were one of the first they were one of the first uh stores outside of japan to really support the frontier format and that that was back like in october or november of 2016 Mm -hmm. so they right around the same time driven somewhat by the demand of those two, the, the, the Canadian players that we were just talking about, but also for the other people who wanted to play in there, face-to-face games was one of the first ones to say, okay, yes, this sounds like a good idea. Let's pick this up. Let's play this. Um, so they were, that was out of Toronto, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And they, they were had, running Frontier events. They, they, they had, were running it weekly, actually, and we were getting quite a bit of uh, players out there. They had, like, their first large events. I don't know if it was, like, a 2K or something like that, but uh, that was, like, I think at the end of November, and they had, like, almost 40 people playing that. And it was won mm-hmm. by Matt Mealing, you know, the guy yes. that, that did the uh, the first podcast. Yeah, and when we're going to talk about Competitive Frontier, partially because we're English speakers, or I am at least, a lot of what we're going to see as competitive was coming out of the real innovations yeah. that were coming out of Tokyo, what they were doing to stay ahead of the meta. And that, that's kind of... So we're getting just a little bit ahead of ourselves. Yeah. I do want to talk about one more big deck because yeah. you, you did say that... Um, the Just Guy Tempo won that, that first major tournament, mm-hmm. the 300-man tournament. Yeah. So we should talk a bit about that deck because it hasn't really been a deck as much in the format. Recently. So that was Just Guy Flyers. You know, it had yeah. a very cheap curve of creatures, pretty much ones, twos, threes. Um, it had, you know, the one power, one toughness flyers. <laughs> Things like, uh, what did they have at the time? I believe Mausoleum Wanderer was around at the time. Mm-hmm. They were using some other, just any kind of little thing they could do to get in dinky damage. Rattle, rattle chains, maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah, rattle chains. They had smuggler's copter, of course, um, and they had mantis rider. And yeah. then what they had is they had two ways to take out those in sold artifacts main deck. They had Jeskai Charm, yep, which it. also looked good into aggro. Yeah, it would bounce it. It would give you lifelink to race them. It would just do damage to the opponent's face. And they also had Reflector Mage, of course. So that was a good way to get rid of that. And other decks didn't have a great way to play Reflector Mage at yeah. the time. Yeah, once, and that's another reason I think people wanted to play Frontiers because there's no ban list. You could play Reflector Mage. You could play, mm-hmm. you know, Aetherworks, Marvel, Smuggler's Copter, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so they could jump around. They could play a lot of things that they didn't get to play otherwise, or that they had just enjoyed playing and had since rotated out. Yeah. All right, so uh, can I move on to the oh. next point in history, or do you have something else? Yeah, to like please, talk? go ahead. So, <laughs> yeah, so they had their first big tournaments at uh, face-to-face games, and then I want to say, like, in December of 2016, uh, a lot of, like, the major uh, major companies like Channel Fireball and Star City Games and, and whatnot, they uh, started writing about Frontier. They started really promoting and saying, you know, I really enjoyed it. This is fun. This could work. Uh, I know that uh, the professor Tularian Tularia Academy uh, ended up, you know, talking a little bit about like what Frontier needs to succeed, and mm-hmm. uh, also MTG Goldfish added the, uh, an, a Frontier tab uh, to to their website. Yeah, I'd as say well. that's definitely that was kind of really when the format started to blow up online. So yeah, everyone they wanted to mention Frontier because it got clicks. People mm-hmm. were interested to hear, hey, is this going to be a format? Is anything going to happen with it? So mm-hmm. you had some smaller twitch streamers you had them streaming frontier online you had a lot of the major places like you said channel fireball mm-hmm. and even a lot of the smaller uh, article writers they were talking about frontier just saying hey could this be a thing hey, many of them were saying hey this isn't a thing you know without even having knowledge whether yeah. it was or not but you mentioned frontier you were getting clicks that time because everyone was watching it they They're were waiting for will this blow up yes yeah and speaking of online i think we should probably talk about the first ever online league did you yes. know? I think the first one was X-Mage. Do you know when that started? Um, ooh, I do not have an exact date. So a number of people, right the first day that this was announced from Haruyuya, they set up a subreddit for it, um, for the format. And through that, some people were meeting up. They said, hey, we're not living all in the same place. We don't all have stuff on MTGO. So they were playing on a free alternative platform. I think at the time it was X-Mage. Mm-hmm. So they just had a little bit of a like 10-man tournament there, and uh, that, that was the first real online league. That was and a tournament, then, but they, their first league announced, I believe, was actually like 24 people hmm, when they okay, first yeah. started. And that was like November of 2016, I believe, the end of November. That sounds about right. So from there, um, some people continued with that. They also broke out into Cockatrice shortly after, and they had a league on mm-hmm. there, which is another free alternative program to MDGO. Yeah, the Cockatrice. Uh, and that one had... Yeah, go ahead. I, I know say, you've got dates more than yeah, I do. Yeah, the Cockatrice League actually started in February of 2017, so it was a little bit later, a couple months later. But that's okay. that's where okay. like, a lot of the people that we currently have in Untap, I think, started. We have a lot of yeah, people. Myself that, included. Yeah. So, yeah, before we get to that, um, let's talk a little bit more. So, yeah, November was the first online league on X-Mage. Uh, and then in December, you had a lot of pros kind of talking about it. Like, I believe there was uh, Craig Wesco and is it Daniel Fournier? Yeah. Yes. He, was, uh, he was out of Tokyo. He was playing yeah. with uh, some of the Tokyo – or not Tokyo. He was out of Toronto. Toronto playing yeah. with some of the Toronto guys. Yeah, he, he actually appeared on that, that first Frontier podcast. So um, I thought that was really cool. Um, another big – 
uh, announcement was Channel Fireball saying that they were going to hold side events at Grand Prix in 2017. They announced that in January of 2017. So that's when those side events started, and that was a big deal because people got to, even if they only had a small group near them playing, they'd get to try out their decks on a larger format. Yeah. Um, And the next big day I have is the God of Frontier. So that's the first God of Frontier. That was in January of 2017. And I actually went to this one. I was living in Nagoya at the time. I had been enjoying playing Frontier so much in Nagoya. You know, I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to take a bullet train from Nagoya to Tokyo. And I'm going to sign up for this event. So I got there. I left like at 5 a.m. in the morning, I think. And then or I left at 5 and I arrived maybe like 7 or 8. And I think it started at like 9. 236 people. So I was playing black-white tokens at the time. I got... I did all right. I did like five and four, hmm. but uh, that that was a, a really good. Do you good happen turnout. to know which one won that one? Uh, I want to say it was won by one of the big Magic pros. Might have been Bug, like Control or Bug Delirium, maybe. I think he was playing like Ishkana and uh, I don't know what other good stuff was in there at the time. Okay, so yeah, I want to jump back in with a little bit more metagame talk because we're kind of uh, moving past that. But I think that Aether Revolt was one of the largest impact sets on Frontier. So yeah. Aether Revolt's coming out about that time, January 2017. <clears throat> and with it comes Fatal Push. With it comes Felidar Guardian. With it comes... Let me think what else came out around Har- then. I mean, I, those are the two big ones that I want to say. Yeah, Felidar really Guardian. Helped warp the format. Yeah, so Felidar Guardian basically needs to really combo a thing. At that time, yeah, it made Sahili combo a thing. It was not before. Was Marvel also that set? But I believe um, it may not have been. But I think it was the. Uh, it, it got the rest of the enablers it needed, probably in that set. Roper yeah, Fighter actually, Aether Revolt was after this God of Frontier. Oh, okay. So this was before. Yeah, God, Aether Revolt. Was Aether out. Revolt came out January twentieth. So this was like this is what they usually did. They usually had the big event at the end of the season. Hmm. I think they had one. Okay, understandable. You know, just so like everyone had a chance to kind of play around with the cards and whatnot. Well, then I'm right on to talk about this is what the next format was. So I yes. want to say the other big deck from that tournament then would have still been Atarka Red, yeah. not as we know it today. So this is another I want to talk about kind of a legacy deck of what Atarka looked like at that time. So they were missing a few cards we currently have. They didn't have yeah. Ramanup Ruins, which gave a huge amount of reach. They didn't have Soulscar Mage, which mm-hmm. gave so much consistency in their one-drops, as well as a good way to fight against the other creature decks of the format. So at the end of the Kaladesh season, you know, right before mm-hmm. Aether Revolt hit, Abzan Aggro was still really popular. And like you said, Jeskai yeah. Temple won the first event. That was still popular. Bat Company... Well, humans, let's, which... let's not get off topic. Let's finish talking about Atarka first. Okay. What I'm saying, Atarka was also... Atarka and Monored were the most popular deck. Yes. Um, I, I don't know if they were most... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. At that at that exact time, that January time, yeah. they were probably the most popular deck. So what they had that they don't have today is that they had a much more combo game. People referred to it almost as a combo Atarka Red because of Become Immense and Teamer Battle Rage yep. were in the stock list. They were in every version of it. They were more a little bit having to go slower with things like Abbot of Carol Keep as a two drop instead of having a prowess creature on one. Mm-hmm. They were forced to play some of these bigger things. They would go wider with 
uh, Hordling Outburst, or sometimes Goblin Rabble Master. Stoke the Flames was like a, a three or four probably in those Yep, decks. Stoke the Flames was more, com- was more common. So instead of being able to go wide, finish them out with Burn with all of the reach that Kurnatark has, instead they were more focused on, oh, I'm going to have this explosive turn, deal you 17 damage in one go, and that's going to be the end of the game. So, yeah, did you want to talk a little bit more about the other initial, you know, metagame or, or meta decks at that so time? So I think those are the big ones that I really wanted to talk about. I want to talk a little bit about the Tokyo format, how it started to come out, but I think that was a little bit after this time. That was more around January, February, March, Well, rather than the beginning of January. I mean, it was it was, it was was still going. I mean, I think twenty we had like 20 to 30 people usually for like the weekend events mm-hmm. and stuff that, you know, leading up to the out of the frontier uh you know big tournament so, but yeah atarka was big abzan was big that company was big uh you went you are in soul like you said blue red in soul but elves was also there you can't forget elves showing up with shaman of the pack the first you know combo ish you know deck i want to say it was a panharmonicon yep can, i think that we've talked about that? that deck on the show before is that it used to be one of the ways you could go with the deck is instead of Collected Company, you can go Panharmonicon, and there were enough of the elves that had entered the battlefield effects that it was actually really good. So you had Elvish Visionary at the time. You were still playing things like... Court of Calling well, was still like a four of, I think. Yeah, Court of Calling. And the real combo is that you could get Woodland Bellower as a six drop. He would come out, bring with him two Shaman of the Pack, get four triggers. So that's four times the number of elves you have in play, mm-hmm, including mm-hmm. the two Shaman of the Pack, usually for lethal damage. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on a little bit. So like you said, um A the Revolt comes out in in the end sorry, at the end of January after this uh God of Frontier events. Uh yeah, so yeah. Fatal Push starts killing things. So yes. Fatal Push knocks down those smugglers copter with an insole artifact on them. They lose both their cards, boom, that's gone. It changes mono red so much. It changes mono red so much. So if you're trying to become immense th- if you have Become Immense and a Tarkus Command, it's really hard to kill something like a Swift Spear with a Lightning Strike, which at the time was the most popular removal yeah. spell. But, but now, it I means mean, that I mean, they know, were, a they lot were of times playing, you try yeah. and kill something. You try and kill something and it just gets too big for you to kill it because you're trying to deal damage to it. You're trying to fight it with Dromoga's Command. All of a sudden, Fatal Push, doesn't matter how big you get, that thing's dead. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no way to protect it. That's what I wanted to say. You know, they're not playing, you know, Blossoming Defense or anything like that. So basically, red decks had to totally change how they play their game. Fatal mm-hmm. Push was the so for a while there, we impact. actually didn't see as much Atarka. I would say that they, that really died down in the format until a little bit later, which I'll definitely get back to the I revival think, of Atarka. I think it also hurt Blue Red Insole a lot. Yeah, that's what I was saying is that it, it yeah. kills those smugglers copters. It kills a lot of the things that are going to Insole, and then they just have to worry about is the Insole good enough? And oftentimes, it's not. Yeah. So, so yeah, fellow the Guardian, Sahili combo. Um, I would also say during this time, uh, Marvel uh, showed a little Marvel. more strength. I think there was a couple more energy-based cards that were, were able to help it out. Yeah, and that means that some of the slower decks that can now play this cheap removal spell got a lot better. So stuff like Jund might have gotten a lot better, or Sultai, which we saw. Yeah, yeah. So the next day, like I said, was the Cockatrice League, which started in February. Can you tell me a little bit you know, about you know what it was like playing in that first league were you there from the beginning i was there from the beginning um you know there was a lot of things they tried a lot of things that tokyo was doing at the time tokyo toronto were still really leading the metagame we were following we were you know let's try out um 
whatever this week, let's try out Flyers this week. And, you know, when you're playing online, it's a lot easier to switch from deck to deck. Um, and at the time it was, every week you could just bring a different deck and you'd get paired against like three or four different people and could play that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a few people that would like, oh, I'm always going to bring Eldrazi no matter what shows up. But a lot of other people, you know, they flip-flopped around, they tried a lot of things and uh, got a lot of testing that way. Okay, so Cockatrice happens. Um, after that, I, I would say... So after that, I yeah. want to talk about what started getting really big in Toronto especially. I don't think it got quite as big in Tokyo, but let's talk a bit about Rally, because I think at that time, oh, yeah, Rally the Ancestors... That was actually, from the start, it was really popular. From the start, it was good. I would say it got more popular, particularly in Toronto, around that February time, and it became the de facto best deck in the format for one at one point. And this was at the beginning of 2017? Yeah, early 2017. So one of the big things that it had at the time, it just had you know cheap creatures. It didn't have... It, it could gump the ground so that the Atarka decks, when they're, you know, they're trying to get in this one big attack, it had a lot of blockers to stop that. It had ways to slow down the Insul decks. It had enough grind to get through those very slow Jeskai black control decks. So eventually it just did very well against a lot of the format at the I time. I think there wasn't really a lot of good graveyard hate other than Tormod's Crypt. Exactly. So there wasn't a ton of good graveyard hate. People were trying other ways to get rid of the graveyards. So Anafenza was quite good. Yeah. We would see plenty of... Calitus. Yeah, Tormod's Crypt was, was a good card. Mm-hmm. Um, Kalidus was Kalitus, somewhat yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe there was also that other card, the uh, white instant, like if a creature wasn't cast from your hand, it exiles it. Yes, that's literally the card I most often forget and always have to look at the name yeah, for. It's I something with... Um, <laughs> yeah. Something with light. I literally look that card up all the time. But the other thing that they were able to do in order to stop the rally decks is a little card called Hushwing Griff. Mm, yes, yes, yes. I love that card. So that's where I want to talk about one of the major tournaments in Toronto. And the winning deck was an Abzan list, which was not playing Siege Rhino in the main deck. So this was such a, you know, you hear about that and you're like, wait, what is going on in Frontier? Mm-hmm. Why are they playing Abzan and not even playing Siege Rhino? And the reason why was because they were ending their curve around three with Hushwing Griff and then usually Gideon on four. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, Matt Mealing, I believe. I believe he... Or maybe yes, I believe that was Matt Mealing again. Uh, that was not the same tournament, but that, that was another one that he, he got up there number he, one with. He always um, talked about that, that on, on the podcast. I remember <laughs> Hushwing Griff, Hushwing Griff, Hushwing Griff, you should be playing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny. one of those things where the format's so interesting, you're doing that. It's also great to be able to say, like, yes, there are ways to attack the best decks just by doing this one interaction. You know, he's shutting down the Bent Company decks. He's shutting down the Rally decks, all of the Collective Company decks in the format. And other Abzan decks who aren't getting their Siege Rhino triggers are just running into trouble. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about real quick. So during this time, you know, at the beginning of 2017, there was a lot of different stores trying Frontier. It wasn't only face-to-face and Hallelujah and Big Magic. There was a lot of stores uh, from around, I would say, mostly the USA that were also doing tournaments. And if you go on Hallelujah's website, you can see all these old uh, results from these tournaments that were being held. Uh, you can see some of the decks that people were playing. So it's, it's kind of cool to kind of like uh, go through the history of, of the decks. Um, the next big thing after, after that, I would say, is the release of Amaket. So that's April, end of April in 2017. Yeah, it was just kind of anecdote that I was definitely in that uh, that 
group of people who were playing at smaller uh, places. My my local store in Chicago had several weeks in a row. Like we we were getting decent numbers there for a while. That store is actually closed now, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I thank you for doing Frontier. Um, I played at some side events in Frontier. Yeah, and also uh, Channel Fireball was doing their side events at Grand Prix during this time as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, next big thing we should talk about, I think, is the Untappery. I think that was like the next big milestone. Yeah, so that's that is kind of a big milestone. So that it, at first it just seemed like, oh, it's another free program. You know, they're splitting mm-hmm. the groups up. Everyone's going to go to a different thing now, but. They did it a little bit differently than how Frontier was doing it at a time. They had, you know, you lock in one list, you're going to keep playing it week to week. There's going to be a clear cut to top eight with the same decks. <clears throat> so that change in format got people who were playing online, just playing for free, playing for fun, to be able to take it a little bit more seriously, to be able to find real testing of people who are trying to break the format, trying to play it competitively, even if they aren't playing at the big tournaments where there's money payouts like in Tokyo. Yeah, and that was at June 2017, I believe. The first that sounds event. about right. So this actually got me started in playing Frontier uh, more religiously, I could say, because before that I could only play it in paper. I could only play it at Big Magic, and there, there, there weren't those you know forty, fifty person events anymore. You know, it was like seven people or six people. It was, it was a lot smaller uh, at that. And then the uh, the major events would be the ones that are thirty to forty, fifty people. Yeah, or like the the God of Frontier. You know, that's that's why I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted to go there because I wanted to play with more than just like ten people. I wanted to play with you know, hundred people, two hundred people. So uh, I couldn't play Cockatrice. I couldn't play X Men HB because well, I was on I was on a Mac at the time, and mm-hmm. uh, I I wasn't able to like download the newest feature because I had an older version of an OS my OS. But okay. Untap was able to be played through a browser, which was great. So somebody approached me, I believe from the Untap group, I forgot who it was, and they had been reading my, my blog because I had been blogging about Frontier for a while. I always mm-hmm. went through. I like, remember your your early articles. Yeah. So like, oh, like what's what's a good card and whatnot. So like, hey, come come join. So I ended up joining Untap, I believe, like in July, I want to say, and I started playing with with you guys. I think that's when I got involved, like on Discord as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Discord's also been a great. There's both the Frontier Discord as well as the UOL Discord, which has a lot of conversation for Frontier. How long has the Discord <clears throat> channel been around? Um, I want to say it was early in that year. It wasn't really around because Discord wasn't really a thing early 2017. But once it once Discord's really started taking off, um, there ended up being an MTG Frontier one. So it was around then. Okay. What What did you want to say? Oh, I was going to say that it was through there that both you and I were contacted. Uh, myself originally, as well as um, some people who were out of Toronto, I uh, had one that was out of Colorado. And that's how our podcast came about, if that's where you want to start to get to. We're getting close to that time, you know, over a year ago when we began our own podcast. So should we talk a little bit about Amonkhet? Yeah, we can talk a little bit about Amonkhet and maybe that summer, because I think that summer is where there was a little bit of a decline of Frontier. So the guys in Toronto, they had a little bit of a breakup with their store. Um, there was some personal things that went on. And because of that, uh, Tony and Matt were no longer there. They stopped holding the same number of events and it kind mm-hmm. of started to die out there. On top of that, I would say the format is something that got very dominated by one deck and it drove a few players away. And I think this is when we had the digital shift. This, this is kind of when people started playing more online than in paper. Yeah, I would say so. So that was kind of the Sahili summer. This yeah. was a point where Sahili Rai was getting so good, 
there were actually some people in Toronto, like the, the podcast guys who were saying that it might need to get banned. It's that strong in Frontier specifically. So in Amonkhet, do you want to, any cards that you think really had a big impact on the format? So it's strange. I'm not sure exactly if I could nail down one or two cards that really were touching the format from Amonkhet. Um, there was some strength here and there, but I think that it just, people learned what was working. They were seeing how well Sahili was doing in Standard, and a lot of people were bringing that over to Frontier. So then the other thing that was happening is that you got a very big dichotomy of what decks were good. So mm. there were the Atarka decks, because those were good against Sahili. This yeah. is kind of when Atarka started to come back, well, because they saw that, hey, if I'm really fast and I've got five, six, seven copies of Wild Slash, then I'm going to be good against Sahili Rai. Well, don't forget about Hazaret. He came back and he was a big part i think of the mono red uh, resurgence yeah i think that this was almost a little bit before that i, I didn't see hazard in a lot of the early versions of red at that time mm-hmm. um i think it was later i think it's towards the end of popular. towards the end of that that season i started seeing a lot of hazard in, in hallelujah okay okay that makes sense so yeah, so other decks were kind of falling by the wayside instead of Atarka, which was able to beat the Sahili decks, which a lot of slower decks weren't. And if you weren't playing that, the best decks in the format, they were all other aggro decks, which were fast enough to go against Sahili and Marvel, but were good against Atarka specifically. So those were the things like Green-Black Scales. So at the mm-hmm. time, Green-Black Scales, you know, you had Ballista. It was great at taking out all of their X ones. Oh yeah, we totally forgot to talk Walker. about that. They had Hankerback Walker, who was great at gumming up the ground, and then they just got some really big guys who killed you quickly. So it was a great deck against Atarka, but it had no reach. So if there were any control decks in the format, they'd have stomped it, but that just didn't really exist at the time, because the control decks weren't beating Sahili. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hard at Scales, we totally forgot to talk about Constrictor. That was like one of the big, another big card from Aether Revolt. Um, yeah, that's another... Really oh well. yeah, that's Aether Revolt specifically, so that did have a big impact, giving that deck a lot more oomph because it was kind of a deck before then but it wasn't a, uh, a tier one tier two deck i i, I would say either belt wasn't i mean other than the sahili there was actually a nice variety of aggro aggro wasn't just mono red at that point it started to splinter into different strategies yeah so that's kind of what i'm saying is that you kind of had to be playing aggro in order to get underneath the combo decks mm-hmm. but if you weren't playing a tarka red which had the best matchup against those you were playing a deck that 100% is there to stop on a Tark Red. So in addition to Scales, there were the Mono White Humans decks. So these were just really fast, one-dimensional, they only attack, and if they get met with a Sweeper, they're just done. Mm-hmm. But there weren't a lot of Sweepers in the format. And a Tark Red could not handle these decks because they went so wide. Yeah. They had things like Thalia having their people come into untapped. They had a lot of First Strike. They had a lot of Vigilance, a lot of Life Gain. Was really tough for a Tarka Red. Uh, and then the third one that I want to put in that list is how the Abzad decks were being built at the time. You know, Siege Rhino was a tough object to go through. It mm-hmm. was hard to get reach over all of their big creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Glorybringer? Would you say Glorybringer had any impact on the format? Um, I don't think so. I think that if Glorybringer and Sahili Rai had been legal in standard, that that would have been a big thing. But Glorybringer always ended up being just a little bit slow in Frontier. And with Grasp of Darkness floating around still, it didn't do the best. Now, I know at this time in Standard, the whole Tamer Energy deck was, like, super powerful. And, mm-hmm. I, went, you know, in Japan, I think a lot of people were kind of just porting that over. They were just adding in fetch lands and, and basically playing either either works with energy or straight energy, you know, with, um, with Glorybringer. And it wasn't bad. 
it wasn't tier one, but it was definitely playable. Yeah, there were some four color or three color energy beatdowny decks. Um, they kind of filled the same sort of slot as something like an Abzan did, with Abzan just having better removal options, Mardu having better removal options, all kind of being that kind of mid range format. All right, so let's move on to the next uh, point, the next milestone. Uh, you, you, you said that you know Matt and Tony were kind of starting to get out of Frontier at that point, but before that, I mm-hmm. believe they held the North American Frontier Championships. Yes, they held the North American Frontier Championships. We didn't find out the decks lists from it until a fair bit later, which I think we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but that was um, July twenty first, two thousand seven. <clears throat> so yes, mid- middle of July. last summer. Um, I, so for whatever reason, it was taking forever to get those lists from that. They were supposed to get them from the tournament organizer. There was some confusion. There was, you mm-hmm. know, some personal issues going on between them. We yep. eventually got hold of those lists. Mm-hmm. Our very first episode of our podcast covered those lists as well as covering the, uh, I think it was another God of Frontier, a major tournament out of Japan. Yeah. Yeah. The other God of Frontier, I believe, was in August of 2017. That was the next big, big thing. So I'm guessing you guys start in August, like beginning of August then? Yeah, that sounds right about when we started. So original cast. I mean, we should, we should give a shout out, right, to, to everyone that <laughs> first appeared. So it was you and uh, uh, Sky so it Burial. Me, it, yeah, Sky Burial. So that's Kevin Hanlon, who's mm-hmm. been great. Um, you know, we still contact him. He, we still use his music at the beginning and end of the uh, the show. So if you guys aren't seeing that in our show notes anymore, big shout out to Dreadnought, his band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's off being a rock star and we're left on our own talking about magic. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as Cyturk Matt, Kieran. yeah, Matt Murday, yeah, Matt, Matt Murday, who was another uh, of the original Tor- Toronto players who joined in on this podcast. So I actually, I don't know if you know this or if people who listened, I wasn't originally supposed to be uh, part of this podcast on air. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the people from the that Untapped League had brought me on to be like, "Hey, you know a lot about Frontier. Can you help write for the show? We're going to write some notes, and then our hosts are going to use that to talk about it." So for the first week, our host couldn't make it, but our two experts, which were Matt and uh, Kevin at the time, could. So we had someone filling in, and then the day of, he drops out. He's like, oh, uh, I can't do it, didn't realize it. You know, it was someone pretty young that we were trying to work with. So uh, it was Zedrez, I believe, if you've met him online. Yeah, I think I've met him a couple times. Yeah, so we're like, okay, we're going to find someone else. I'm like, no, I've got this. I wrote all of this. I know what we're doing. I'm jumping in here. So I went out and bought a mic that day. First time ever being on the air. First time ever doing anything like this. And uh, they loved me. So I stayed on. I've been on for every single episode, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, while other people have come and gone, I've been here. And then we'll get to you joining later because I think that's really something that's helped revive our podcast. And, uh, you know, you've kind of been in our final renaissance, I'd say, of Frontier. Who has me? What? What? Sorry, what did you say? Final renaissance? Paying you, paying you a compliment, right? Oh, sorry. <laughs> All uh, right, so <laughs> yeah, I'm talking a little quick here. So right about that time is when we got hold of the God of Frontier North America Championships. Yeah, and we got to look at those lists. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you're welcome to go back and listen to that first podcast. Um, I don't know if the quality is quite as good as now, and the audio quality is just as good, but maybe we weren't as organized. There were some cool decks there. Uh. I think that some of what we were talking about stayed the same. We saw Atarka. We saw decks trying to beat Atarka. Mm-hmm. But another big thing that we saw was that Atar- Dark Atarka showed up there. And I think that we called that kind of the breakout deck of the format. It was lower to the ground than the current Atarka decks. It was running more than just the four copies of Wild Slash, which really helped it fight against some of the Abzan and mm-hmm. Mono White decks there. I think in Japan at this time, Atarka 
wasn't as popular. I think Control was a lot more popular. There's a lot of people running three color and four color Control. Yeah, so the winner of that was actually a blue-black control. That was yeah, really when we frontier. first started to see that take off. Uh, that was also, I believe, where Jeremy Dazani, another pro out of Tokyo, he played in it. I think he took top eight with Band yeah. Humans. He wrote about the deck, uh, posted that online, and also wrote about how just good control seemed in Frontier. So we started to see the control lists, which were focused to beat the Atarka Red lists. And uh, just a real real quick, uh, so real quick data points, I guess. Uh, at this event... There was 87 people, so it's a big drop from the initial tournament. But this is basically what God of Frontier events have stabilized at uh, for mm-hmm. you know the last year or so. I think th- this is the hardcore, hardcore people. These are the people that you can pretty much depend on to play in these big events every time. Okay, and then we're going to get around to, I'd say, one of the biggest cards that changed... The face of frontier mm-hmm. is uh, at near the end of 2017. We're getting to, and we have uh, <clears throat> the release of Ixalan. Yeah. Well, what about before that? We didn't really talk about uh, Hour of Devastation. Yeah, I don't think Hour of Devastation changed much. Really? Like we were saying, it kind of in July. <laughs> Um, uh, maybe there wasn't just as much coverage then because, you know, there weren't as many big tournaments out of Tokyo or out of uh, Toronto that we were hearing about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was no podcast anymore keeping everyone up to date. So for me, I didn't see a lot of change during that time. So big thing from our devastation is a braid. A braid suddenly gives uh, a lot of red decks the ability to keep Aetherworks Marvel under control. I think Aetherworks Marvel kind of started seeing a downturn at this point. And I want to say a Sahili kind of took over again during this yeah. meta season because everyone was packing the Braid hate. So, so that kind of leads all into what I was saying is released is Ixalan, and with it comes Vraska's Contempt and Sertorez Kanta. There's, there's still more. There's still more. I mean, <laughs> up Ruins? I mean, Ramon yeah, Ruins, I know. People, People switched from Atarka Red to kind of just straight red. Um, uh, that, Atarka Red was still fine, but it's still fine. But I'm saying a lot of people that, that they kind of split, they kind of splintered again. You know, with the type uh, of Soul Scar Mage is probably worth mentioning. That's again where we're saying that Red was able to get a little bit lower, be able to keep up with some of the decks made to hate it. Yeah, and then of course Scarab got huge finisher for for blue black decks. That's one of the reasons why you know it did so well at that God of Frontier tournament. It's because you know, okay, I kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself, counter it, whatever, bring it back, kill you with it. I want to actually say that that winning list was not running any Scarab God. I believe that it had Gear Hulk and still was using Dragonlord, or not Dragonlord, Salomgar, Salomgar the Drifting Death mm. as its other win con. Yeah, I mean, there's different there's different versions, of course, but it was yeah. starting to become a very powerful card uh, at the end of that season. All right, so you want to talk about Ixalan now, so... Let's yeah, move so on to it, uh, that, here's where I'm moving to Ixalan and say that this is where Blue Black Control had its comeback and how that shaped the format. So, yes, just having Control back, that would be an interesting point. Cool, they've got this this card now. They've got Search for Escanto, which lets them not run Chase, which means that the opponents who are all running Fatal Push suddenly have a dead card in their deck. Mm-hmm. But the other big thing is that the biggest problem Control has was that Gideon comes down and there is no answer out of the blue back control decks. It's basically a scoop right on the spot. So yeah. the Sahili decks could run Gideon and just win that way. The uh, 
the Atar- or the Abzan decks would run Gideon win that way. Vehicles decks runs Gideon. Suddenly that changes a little bit. There's actually an answer if you can't counter it on curve, and suddenly that changes a lot of things. So all of those decks I was just setting up saying, oh, they're good against Tatarka, but not so good against everything else. Suddenly those aren't as good because there's a big new control in the format. I'd say that the Sahili decks, suddenly there's another end that they have to contest with, or they're just going to get countered, they're just going to have them sitting on a grasp of darkness, a push, and never be able to combo off. And Mm -hmm. it changes so much for those decks, for that dichotomy of the whole format. And that's crazy because Jace was like a $120 card when it was in Standard, and then it was so popular in Frontiers. Well, everyone's like, oh, it's the best card, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this one card comes out. That's the great thing about Frontiers. You know, it new cards come out, and they they affect the format so much. Like Search vs. Canto, best card for control. Yes. And I remember saying it as a joke. I was like, oh. Uh, do you know the old meme with like, oh, friendship ended with Gudafir, and um, now whoever else it was is my best friend. I, I mm-hmm. mac- mocked that up with, uh, oh, friendship ended with Jace, now Search for Ascanto is my best friend. Huh. I did it as a joke, but ended up to be true. Huh. So yeah, Vrasa's Contempt was a big thing. Um, I think Sorcerer Spyglass was kind of a nice addition in Exelon as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that gave but a also lot... also got a little bit better then. Uh, yeah, it, I mean the, but the Spyglass let decks that usually didn't have an easy way to stop either works or planeswalker decks uh, you know a way out basically yeah um check lands of course the check lands coming back helped mana for a lot of the aggro decks yeah so that, that was a big impactful set and mm-hmm. that's really where we were starting to take off so that was i think our second episode was a set review right after doing the review of that North America championship. So hmm. you know, covered a lot of ground in just two episodes there as we're already getting towards the end of 2017. Yeah. So season two of the untapped league started mm-hmm. in 2017 in, uh, I want to say September. So that, went from about 10 players to what? 16, 18, 36, 26. Okay. That's 30, pretty good. 36. There was 36, 36. people. Yes, so I wrote that down. That's my first season where I joined the Untapped League. I was I was kind of hanging out on Discord and you know chatting with people before that, but so that was a huge jump. It was like eleven people I think for the first one, and this was like a three time. This this was a three times, uh, sorry, threefold improvements. Yeah, and it's kind of always been a big herald of talking about the validity of the online formats that the people who were still regularly playing in Tokyo and Toronto at the time were still saying, hey, you know, these people are pushing the edge of some things. I'm taking things from here and bringing them back home and seeing them be powerful. Well, I think this is a good place maybe to take a break. Let's let's make this a two-parter. All right, I think that we could probably do that. I mean, I'm, we're covering most of what I wanted to really talk about, but I think that we can make the next half of this be what we want to talk about in the future of Frontier and the last, you know, talking, year of Frontier yeah, where like, we've had a lot of casts. We'll we'll go review some of our past casts and say what we've really been able to point out, the latest changes in the format, and we'll be able to talk a little bit more. But I agree with you. I think this is a decent place for us to, to call it right here. Yeah, so we, we started in September of 2016. Now we're in 2017. So look for part two of the history of Frontier next week. All right, yeah. Do they do part twos with TED Talks? I don't know. I don't know. I need to watch more TED Talks, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) 
All right, but anyways, thanks, guys. I hope that if there's anything you want to hear or if there's anything we might have missed, anything that you remember differently on your own personal experience with Frontier and its history, please reach out to us. I'm at MTG Frontier on Twitter, MTG underscore Frontier on Instagram, and we've got our Reddit, MTG Final Frontier. There's the Discord link in there or in our show notes below, and mtgfrontier.net is our website. Yeah, and again, I'm Ryan Schwank. You can contact me on Twitter at yoshwanky, or you can find me on my website, www.thejapanhobbyist.com. All right, thanks so much, guys. We're looking forward to part two of this, and uh, everyone have a great day. We look forward to being your go-to source for frontier information online. Your final frontier, signing off for now.